So good to be here with you today. My name is Ed, if we haven't met yet. Uh, for many of us, we have long friendships, and it's so good to see all of you. And realizing that I need to do a better job in making time to spend more time with you. Uh, it's very truly good to see you, and perhaps more exciting than seeing familiar faces is seeing uh, unfamiliar faces. It's great to see what the Lord is doing, and what a joyful Lord's Day this is. Let's pray and ask Him for His help, shall we? These songs remind us of your beauty and of your amazing love for us. Songs that recall Calvary, songs that recall your suffering on our behalf. It turns our hearts to you, our Lord, or we want them to. And so we pray that as we've worshipped in song and as we've remembered your grace and your character in song, that, that our worship would continue now as we read your word together. Speak to us, God. Let this not be about the preacher, but about your word. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, and help us to understand, help us to apply, that we may live lives that are glorifying to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's amazing what human beings can accomplish when they set their minds to it, when, they're, when the stakes are high enough and when it's something that they really want to do. In 2012, uh, a German named Felix Baumgartner uh, took a helium balloon into the Earth's stratosphere and skydove from 24 miles up, reaching speeds of 846.3 miles per hour. And being the first person in history to break the sound barrier without any kind of vehicular assistance. In the same year, um, Andre Molchanov, I think his name is, free dove, meaning without any kind of breathing apparatus, just, just dove into the water and went down without any help 413 feet. That's like, if you think about it, a 10 foot deep end, that's like 40 of those. 40 of those pools without any help. It's amazing. Every year in July, I don't know if it's happened yet or if it's going to happen, but every year in July, about 100 people marathon through 125 miles through um, Death Valley. And that gets to like 120 degrees in July. It's amazing. What people can endure and what people can go through if they want to, and if they train for it, if they prepare their minds to it, that, that fact alone, doing the Google research for those things, was convicting enough in itself as I consider my endurance and my zeal for the things of the Lord. We live in a very busy time, don't we? We all feel busy. Anyone here not feel busy? We feel busy. And, and in reality, we are busy. These days, it is so easy to fill up a calendar just like that. And it's so commonplace to, at the end of the week, just feel completely spent and burnt out. And we often associate that with a negative thing, don't we? And someone says to you, how was your week? 
busy. But maybe being busy and tired is not such a bad thing. Maybe we ought to be poured out. Maybe we ought to be exhausted. Not in the things that ultimately won't matter in 10,000 years, but in the things of the Lord, in the things of eternal worth and consequence. Maybe we ought to be tired. Let's stand together take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read in Colossians 1 verses 24 through 29 an example of Paul living this out. Let's read this together. This is the word of God. Colossians 1 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. The aim of this sermon is to encourage you to run to Jesus for rest. And having felt rested, to then pour yourself out every ounce of you to do the things that he calls you to do. After studying this, this passage, I try to make it a habit to ask myself first the question, how does this passage apply to me? Before I ask the question, how does it apply to you? How does it apply to me? And the answer to that, my aspiration statement for what I want to be after studying this passage is going to serve as the outline for this sermon. <coughs> This will will be our outline, is the aspiration statement that I have written out in response to this passage. And if we've understood this text correctly, hopefully it will be your aspiration as well, walking out of these doors. So it's a long statement. I'm going to say the whole statement as a whole, and then we're going to break it down into five parts. And that's going to serve as our outline. Sound like a plan? All right, here's the statement. The statement is this. By the strength of Christ, and because of his magnificence, I want to tirelessly use my gifts to help others know and follow Jesus, even if that means joyful suffering. Let me say that one more time, and then we'll, we'll, break, it, we'll break it down. By the strength of Christ, and because of his magnificence, I want to use my gifts tirelessly to help others know and follow Jesus, even if that means Joyful suffering. So let's break that down into its parts. The first part there is by the strength of Christ. By the strength of Christ. Now, we're going to start, actually, in the last verse of the passage, verse 29. And you may wonder, why are we doing that? And the answer to that is really this. It's it's that it is not natural for us to want to be in a position where we are just totally poured out. It's not natural for us 
to pursue suffering. What's natural for us is to be as rested as we possibly can be and to avoid suffering as much as we possibly can. So we can't rely and trust on our own strength for this. If we would make this statement true about us, then we must trust and rest in the strength of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's doing. In verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word that's translated struggling here is, is the word from which we get the word agonize. And essentially, it's used in this context, well, not in this context, but in his time, it was used in reference to uh, contending in athletic games. This is the struggling, this is the level of struggling that he's talking about. We'll talk in a little bit about what he's toiling for and what he's struggling for, but what we see immediately in verse 29 is that he is not resting in his own ability to accomplish this. He's struggling, verse 29 says, struggling with all his energy, struggling with all Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul needed Jesus' strength to do what Jesus would have him do. And what amazing grace that that was for him from Jesus, is it not? Not only did Christ tell Paul what to do and just leave him to his own devices to accomplish it, no. He told him what to do, and he gave him everything that he needed to do it. He gave him every ounce of energy that he needed to do this, to toil and to struggle with all of Christ's energy. So Paul did this with Christ's energy. We have to ask ourselves, is this true for us also? Not everything about Paul is true for us. He had a different role. He had a different gifting, right? So we have to ask ourselves, when we're looking at Paul as an example... Is this, does, is this also true for me? And one passage that hints towards that would be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. As Paul, and this is at verse 13 if you're turning there, right after Paul encourages the church in Philippi to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, he quickly adds, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when we will to do his will, when we want to, when we have the strength to do it, I think we can acknowledge it's not our strength. It's Christ's strength that he is working in us. So not only has he commanded us what to do, but he has given us everything that we need, including his strength, all of his energy to do it. Now, Next question would then be, is that automatic? Is it in such a way that we should just passively receive the power of Christ to accomplish this? I think that a passage that hints toward the answer being, no, it's not automatic, is in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, 31, in this great benediction, he says that he had a God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, listen, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So if it were automatic, if receiving the strength, the energy from Jesus were automatic, there really would be no need for this benediction, this prayer. It would just be more of a statement of fact of the past. He has equipped you with everything good that you may do as well. That's not 
That's not what the writer says. He says, may he do that. May God give you everything that you need to do his will. So that's a hint for us, a, a cue for us, that we need to be constantly drawing from the strength. We need to constantly go to him to drink, we weary and heavy laden. It pleases God, it's glorifying to him, that we would keep coming back to him for strength, for help in what he's called us to do. It is to his honor that we would go to him and rest. And so we start with this. We start with this idea of by the strength of Christ, because we cannot do this on our own. We won't want to do this on our own. And so we need to run to him. We need to be constantly asking him, God, help us. Jesus, help us to do what you would have us do. So that's the first part. By the strength of Christ. Second part. By the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence. Because of his magnificence. And for that, all we need to do is go back to verse 24, the beginning of our passage, and just look at the first word. Now. Just now. This word that's now, both in English and in the Greek, can be used uh, to, to prompt what logically follows what's just been said. What logically follows what's just been said. So, for example, if somebody were to say to you, the last time I was at a baseball game, I got hit by a ball. Now, I wear a helmet. You can, you can infer from that that the reason why they wear a helmet is because the last time they were at a game, they got hit by a baseball. Make sense? And so when we see this word now, this is likely how Paul is using this word. Meaning, what he's about to say is, is largely the conclusion from what he's just said. And what he's just said is that Christ is magnificent. He is preeminent. He is supreme. Verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1. Many scholars of the word think that this is a hymn. Maybe he's writing this hymn as he's writing this letter. Maybe it's a hymn that was already being sung in the church and he's included it here because it, it fits what he's saying. It could be. Uh, either way, whether it's a hymn or not, he's practically singing the magnificence of Jesus Christ. There can be a series of sermons on just verses 15 through 20. And that's not our aim this morning, so we're just going to read it. And then it may be a challenge for you to, to dig into this passage further. But listen and delight in the magnificence of Christ in these verses. Colossians 1, 15 and onward. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. The fact that, perhaps, as we've read those verses, a million questions just popped into your head is a good picture of the magnificence of Jesus Christ. These beautiful words, 
require unpacking because of just how amazing that he is. So if it's the magnificence of Jesus that, that motivates Paul to suffer with joy, that motivates Paul to toil, to struggle with all of Christ's energy that he works within him. Not only is he magnificent, but his grace is magnificent as well. Take a look at verse 21 and 22, the verses following this hymn. And you, read Colossians, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now remember, these Colossian believers who were largely Gentile believers, these, they were far from the God of Israel. They were far from him. And not only were they far from him, but they were also hostile toward him. Not only were they hostile in mind, but they actually did evil deeds against him. But this Jesus, who in verse 20 talks about reconciling to himself all things, this Jesus, verse 22, has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross in order to present these Colossian believers holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He did this so that when it came to judgment, the result for those people would be not guilty. They would be holy and blameless in the sight of God. Praise God. For some of you, this is not yet true for you. Maybe you come here this morning against your will. Maybe you come here and you're, you're interested, but you're not sure. But you haven't turned your life to Jesus. You haven't, this hasn't been true about you. And you are content with being hostile in mind toward God. You're content with doing evil deeds against Him. If that's true, then, then you have not yet been reconciled in his body of flesh by death. You are not, not guilty before the Lord. But he died on the cross for sinners. Sinners like you, sinners like me. And he said that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so, if this is not true about you, we want this to be true about you. Trust in him. Be forgiven of your sins. Be saved. If this is true for you, and you're reading this and you're saying, Amen, yes, this is true about me. Does this not motivate you to serve Him? Does this not motivate you to pour out everything that you have for Him? The magnificence of who He is. The magnificence of His grace. What does it mean to you Monday through Saturday and even Sunday? What does it mean to you? What does it look like in your life? Now, the, the, the obvious answer is, yes, of course that does. But we know that we leak. We are not as passionate as we were when we first came to know Jesus. It's true. It's just the nature of who we are. We can become accustomed to grace. We can become used to grace. And it shouldn't be that way. It's a tragedy that it is that way. But God is merciful. And he provides for us what we need to go back to that first love, to stop being lukewarm. And so what we need to do is to be refreshed in our minds about how magnificent Jesus is and just how amazing His grace is. And if we would do that, then we would be fired up to live this kind of life. Now, how do you do that practically? Well, first, we need to be primarily people of the Word. 
God has revealed Christ to us primarily through his word. This is, this is where we get to know him. And so if you don't have a regular intake somehow of God's word, then your growth is going to be stunted. And, and you will love Jesus little because it is from reading his word or listening to his word or meditating on his word or studying his word that we get to know him. And the more that we get to know who he is, the more delighted we are in him, the more satisfied we are in him, and the more we are prone and apt to serve him. So be a person of the word. It can look different in everyone's life. We're not here to tell you you need to get on a reading plan. Hey, many people are helped by reading plans. And try one and see if it works for you. Some might be helped just from listening to the word. Some might be helped by, by listening to the word taught and exposited and preached throughout the week. Some might just take one verse and just chew on it and unpack it and see the delights of Jesus Christ in it. But whatever the case, you must be a person of the word if you would love Jesus in any kind of lasting and meaningful way. And then, so if primarily we're to be people of the word, secondarily we are to be people of uh, experience. Now, you may cringe at that idea. Not, not holding this to the same level of Scripture, it's not. But the reality is that not only do we know God from His Word, but we also know Him from creation, and also in the many wonderful blessings, and the way that He interacts graciously with us every day. The person of the Word not only understands God's sovereignty from the Scriptures, but sees it every single day, and delights in it, and cherishes it, and treasures it. The person of the word not only understands that God is love, but recognizes his grace in the countless thousands of moments that we experience in every day. The person of the word not only knows about God's wrath, but feels the weight of it when they think about how their loved ones might face it. So not only do we need to be in the word, but we have to see how the word is real in our lives and our world every single day. And we will see God do amazing things in this world, and we will delight in Christ and thus do what we're supposed to do. God willing, with his help. So those are our first two. By the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence, number three. I want to tirelessly use my gifts. I want to tirelessly use my gifts. Where do we see that in the word here? We see in verse 25, we'll come back to verse 24 later. In verse 25, he talks about how he has become a minister of the church. Notice, according to the stewardship from God. This word stewardship was, was used in the sense of someone who was... Uh, assigned to administrate over a large estate, uh, a house manager, if you will. So this is what it means to be a steward. He doesn't own the house, but it is his stewardship. And he has received this stewardship. He's not taking it on himself. It is from God. He even says so in that verse. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So it was given to Paul. This is his gift. This is a gift that he received from God. What was the gift? Continuing in verse 25. To make the word of God fully known. And here's what he means by that. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, 
but now revealed to his saints. That word mystery is not talking about something that we can't understand. Sometimes we'll say that, right? Well, it's just a mystery. In this context, what this word mystery means is something that was hidden, but is now revealed. So we now see it. It was hidden, but now it's revealed. And it even says as much in that same verse. Hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And here's the mystery, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's, here's a mystery, right? In the Old Testament, we see hints of Jesus. We see it pointing forward to this Messiah. And, and somehow, all generations would be blessed through Abraham. And, and somehow, his kingdom would spread to the ends of the earth. And somehow, the head of the serpent would be crushed. But it was a mystery. It wasn't yet revealed as to how that would happen in B.C. But then A.D., we see, we are shown, it is revealed to us by God how all of that was pointing forward to Jesus. And how he now fulfills all of those. That all generations are blessed through him. And how his kingdom will spread all over the world through him. And how he will crush, finally, Satan's head. That's our mystery, and that's Paul's task. That's his gifting, is to go and spread that as far and as wide as he possibly can. That's his calling, that's what he's been gifted to do, that's what he's been enabled to do, and he's using his gifts. The mystery is Christ, says in verse 27, which is Christ in you. So more specifically, Gentiles' union with Jesus Christ, and Jews' union with Jesus Christ, who is the end of verse 27, the hope of glory. So not only is, is what he has done revealed to them as this mystery that's been revealed, but what he will do. This hope of glory is that these bodies that we're in that are, that are full of sin and pain and sorrow will one day when he returns in glory be resurrected to enjoy him forever. The hope of glory is that, is that sin and death will be finally eradicated. All the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. He is the hope of glory. And it's Paul's job to spread this message anywhere that he possibly can. He is using his gifts. And he is tirelessly using them. We saw that earlier in verse 29. For this I toil. For this I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul serves for us as an example here of what we are really recreated to do. If you're a believer, you have been recreated and you have been created for good works. This is what Christ has made us for. And it's encouraging to us as we look at this example to pour ourselves out tirelessly. Maybe we should be exhausted to the point that all we can do is cling to the strength of Jesus Christ to do his will. Now, it may not look exactly like Paul, and it's not meant to. Not everyone has the same gifting as Paul. Not everyone has the exact calling as Paul. Yet every single one of us has been given gifts by God to be used tirelessly for his glory. So that's our first three. Let's go to our fourth one. 
by the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence, I want to tirelessly use my gifts, number four, to help others know and follow Jesus. To help others know and follow Jesus. Verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. So his, his task, his goal, is that others would know Jesus. He is preaching Jesus everywhere. And that's the goal of everyone who fills this pulpit. We're not just preaching, we're preaching Christ. We're gospel preachers. Because believers and unbelievers alike need to hear Christ. Need to hear the gospel every single week that we may be filled and encouraged and prepared. Now when you think about gifting, it's not only to just help in any way. The spiritual gifts that we've received is to help people know Jesus. To help people follow Jesus. And we see this as he continues. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we see know Jesus in whom we proclaim. And in the following words, we see the follow Jesus aspect. He's warning everyone. This is, a, this is about admonition. To try to have someone stop doing what they're doing, stop something they're doing and change. This is what we mean by warn. And teaching everyone, just as the Savior has commanded that, that we do, that we go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And this is done, verse 28, with all wisdom. Wisdom, in a nutshell, is knowing what to do with what you know. So this is talking about, whether it's warning or teaching, with all wisdom, it's talking about living and following Jesus Christ. Not merely being filled intellectually, but being taught and warned to follow Jesus with everything. Now, like we said, we can't just take this verse and say, well, that's my job too. We have to ask ourselves, just because Paul is doing it, does that mean that I'm doing it as well? And the answer to that is, yes, it is our task as well. Not necessarily exactly like Paul, but somehow. Take a look at Ephesians 4, or just listen. Ephesians 4. This is what Paul says that leaders of the church are meant to do. To equip the saints, you, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In a nutshell, we can only grow together. Earlier, right in verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so the the summary of this passage is that God has given everyone in the church a gift to be used to help people know and follow Jesus. Again, that doesn't mean that you're going to do exactly what Paul did, but it means doing something that he has given you. And you may not know what that is. Piper was, was really helpful on this. And he talks about how um, John Piper, a uh, preacher, 
Um, he talks about how there is no one exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. They're different. So there's one over here, there's one over there, they're different. And so there's not necessarily an exact list that you need to go by and take an examination of, uh, you know, what you call this assessment of spiritual gifts to see what your gifts are. All you really need to do is just do whatever you can to help others know and follow Jesus Christ. And you'll find out where you're gifted. And ask your elders, ask each other, what can I do? How can I help others know and follow Jesus? That is what we're tasked to do. That is what we're gifted to do. Anything that you do to help that doesn't help someone know and follow Jesus is helpful. It's just not a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is what God has given you to help others know and follow Jesus. All right? So, let's review and then we'll go to our fifth one here. Fifth and last one. By the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence, I want to tirelessly use my gifts to help others know and follow Jesus. And lastly, even if that means joyful suffering. Even if that means joyful suffering. Take a look at verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So he's suffering for the church, for the church of Colossae, even though he hasn't met them. He's got a love for them, and he desires to see them mature in Jesus Christ. And he's suffering for that. Paul's suffering was not theoretical. He was actually writing this from prison. He was in chains, and he considered them God's chains on him. And he rejoiced in that. Because it was, it was what God was using to this end that he was being used to present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. He's rejoicing in that suffering. He went, through, he went through incredibly hard things. Not only was he in prison now, but earlier in his life, he was, they hurled massive stones at him and thought he was dead and left him for dead. Now that's enough for someone like me and my weakness to say, bye, but he doesn't do that. He dusts himself off, and he goes back into the city. <laughs> he goes back in. And then later on in his journey, he comes back to go and check in on the believers that were there. He suffered and he rejoiced. And then he says, filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. What this means, probably, is that in the line of thinking that there is a an ordained amount of suffering that the church has to endure before the end. Or as Revelation would put it, the amount of martyrs before the end. If there is a fixed amount of suffering that the church must endure, Christ's body must endure before the end, Paul's doing his part, is what he's saying. I'm doing my part. I'm taking my suffering for your sake, for the sake of the church. And he rejoices in that. Truth is that Toiling and struggling to see others mature in Jesus Christ. Using your gifts tirelessly is not always fun. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it may lead to people mocking you, rejecting you. It may lead to strife between friendships and family members. It may lead to, to sadly, disunity. It may lead to, what else did Christ suffer? It may lead to... A spiritual warfare. 
Does the enemy is trying to stop you and hurt you in any way that you stop doing this? It may lead to physical harm and it may lead to death. It may. That could be what the cost is. So how could Paul rejoice in this? How could Paul seek after this? By the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence. The way that we become okay with suffering the way that we can not only be okay but rejoice in suffering is that if this would be true about us, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is our treasure. I will go through anything for him with great rejoicing. I will go to my own cross singing hymns of praise to him. That's my aspiration for me and for you. So the whole statement, again, is by the strength of Christ and because of his magnificence, I want to tirelessly use my gifts to help others know and follow Jesus, even if that means joyful suffering. What do we do with all that? Well, this is a, an aspiration. And so what we need to do is constantly be running to Jesus for strength. We need to be running to him that we may will and work for his good pleasure. If you are serving the church, do so tirelessly. Do so relentlessly. Because it is through your ministry that someone may be grown and mature in Jesus Christ. Not staying a spiritual baby forever, or even an unbeliever forever, but you could be used to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ and help along to grow mature in Jesus. Use your gifts. Pour yourself out tirelessly that you would have to draw from the strength of Christ constantly. And if you're not serving the church, this is a challenge for you to do so. Having been saved, you haven't been saved merely to just enjoy the rest of this life for yourself. You have been given gifts, not for yourself. The gifts that we receive are not for us, they are for others. That's the design, is that we give a gift, we give a gift. We get a gift, we give a gift. Another person, they get their own gift, and they give the gift to us. So, And the design is that everyone is pouring into each other at Providence Reform, and everyone is growing together. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And we need, this church needs every single one of you. It just does. Another application, secondary. The benefit of your elders not being here is we get to talk about them. <laughs> They're suffering for you. They may be doing it with a smile on their face. Jason's just got the best smile, doesn't he? But he's suffering for you. He toils for you. He struggles for you. He does it so that they that can help you know and follow Jesus Christ. They do it so that they can see you mature in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for you? Pray for them. Be patient with them. Because they are imperfect guys. Help them. That's maybe the most important thing is work alongside them. Don't leave them to do the bulk of the work. They're only meant to equip you to do it. And if you do that, then all of us will benefit from that. It's amazing what human beings can do if it's worth it to them. Especially with the power of Christ. Let's pray.
This is what we aspire to be, oh God, or at least I do and anyone who agrees with me. But we know we're not there. And we are so, we are so thankful for your mercy that despite our shortcomings, you continue to show us grace and, and appeal to us in the heavenly court. Appeal for us, rather. It's incredible that, that you forbear with us as we struggle through this, and we ask, because we are weak and because we are empty, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That you would equip us with everything that we need, including every ounce of strength that we need to do what you've designed us to do. That we would not be derelict in our duties, but that we would strive every single day to this end, that others would know and follow you. It's our desire, Lord. Help us to see how much worth you have, that we would be motivated to do it, and fill us with your strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.